So as I was saying, was that imagine uh, uh, Al-Fatiha removing Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. So suppose we have Bismillah, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Maliki Yawm deen How does, uh, uh, for anyone, how does that change the meaning or the feel of the surah? Anyone? Uh, Ofat, what do you think? How does it change the, the, the surah? You can type or speak. Or not. Okay. Or someone else. Uh, let's see, Mariam. How does it how does it change the the meaning if we have Bismillah, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alamin, and then Maliki Yomidin? So we got rid of Arhman Rahim, Arhman Rahim. What do you think? Um, I think you're removing that aspect of his mercy. So I don't know. I feel like it's just kind of more dry. Yeah, sure. Okay, so now let's change it. Uh, let's say it's not uh, empty of Ar-Rahman Rahim. Let's say it's Alhamdulillah, Al-Jabbar, Al-Qahar. Oh, I'm sorry, Bismillah, Bismillah, Al-Jabbar, Al-Qahar. Or Al-Qahar, Al-Jabbar. Uh, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Al-Jabbar, Al-Qahar, Maliki Yawm Moment, how does that, how does that uh, uh, change it? Now we're saying Al-Jabbar is the one who's, whose will cannot be stopped and Al-Qahar is the one who subdues. How do you think, uh, how does it feel like it changes the, the meaning? What do you think? All right, no response. Oh wait, people are, are chatting, hold on. There is communication, okay. So, oh yeah, so Rahma is an emphasize. Yes, it creates a sense of fear rather than love. Sounds much more impersonal. Absolutely, for all these things. Yeah, but and, also it creates a, uh, it creates a feeling of uh, self-centeredness without any connection to the creation. I uh, explain. So if you say Al-Jabbar Al-Qahar, it's again uh, the emphasis of Allah's uh, potency of doing his will the, okay. uh, the human being or the, his creation is uh, is nothing more than uh, something on which his uh, caprice is going to be acted upon there's no free will in other words okay so you're saying self-centeredness on Allah's part yeah okay got it I think you meant on, on our part yeah okay uh, yeah, very much so and and if you and if you look uh, and the previous question of yours when you said if you take out al uh, uh, what was it if you take out al rahman al rahim and you just say alhamdulillah uh, rabbil alamin and so forth, again it reemphasizes the same thing uh, uni uh, unipolarity whereas okay. you know the, the fatiha is basically giving you a, not necessarily an equal polarity, but there is a, a there is an origin and there's a recipient. So. And then Tanvir says, this is the current understanding of most Muslims. I think that's true for a whole lot of Muslims, yeah. That our, our default uh, impression of Allah Ta'ala is one of force as opposed to, to, to Rahmah. And then, and then who do we have after, after that? Um, 
that we have negates the connection between Allah and his creation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And changing the word would inspire more fear than hope. I think that's actually a very, very central point of, of all of this. That Rahmah, by speaking of Allah as this source of Rahmah, we're making the default to be one of hope over fear. And, and so that point we're going to be revisiting uh, actually in just a moment. And then Ahant is saying, is if you push the narrative of mercy, wouldn't that make it easier to think that every struggle is good for us? Yeah, I think so. That if everything, whether we see it or not, is mercy, then uh, that type of conditioning, I think, uh, uh, makes things much more easier. As opposed to, if we're saying al-jabbar al-qahar, then it's kind of like saying every ease is actually going to be doomed. It's going to be follow, followed up with some sort of, of, of doom. Okay, how does it change if we have the, 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 the tough attributes at, uh, first and then the gentle attributes second? So we do Bismillah, Al-Qahar, Al-Jabbar. So in the name of Allah, the one who subdues, the one whose will cannot be stopped. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And then Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin. How does that change uh, everything? What do you think? Anyone who wants to chime in or type in? Uh, let's see who... Uh, how about uh, Stefan Laith? What do you think? Either type or microphone. Uh, the foundation changes, it flips. Keep going. Oh, it flips. Okay. I'll keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what if we do the reverse? What if we do Bismillah, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, and then Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Al-Jabbar, Al-Qahar, Maliki, Yawmiddin. Seems to me that if we do that, it starts out merciful, and then as we get closer to the Day of Judgment, it gets very, very tough. So what is the point in all this? That if we look at all the attributes, so yes, it's a fear rather than love. If we look at all the attributes that we find of Allah in the Quran, we tend to divide them into two parts. The attributes of beauty, al-jamal, and the attributes of majesty, al-jalal. And in theory, if this was to be balanced, then Allah would use an attribute of beauty, like Rahmah, and an attribute of majesty, like Jabbar, Rahman and Jabbar, if it was to be balanced. But Allah Ta'ala chose not to give that type of balance. Rather, the default he's giving is Rahmah, and four direct references to Rahmah. And so again, keep the point in mind uh, in terms of how you look at the world. Okay, so 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 Dia Annie, I'm saying that uh, we would often try to imagine things in terms of balance. And if we're looking at balance in terms of the attributes of Allah, we'd have the attributes of, of beauty, and then we'd have the attributes of majesty, or the attributes of gentleness and the attributes of power. And so if this was going to be balanced, we'd have not ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. We'd have two attributes of beauty, like ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, and then two attributes of power, if it's balanced. But that's not what Allah Ta'ala is just depicting for us about himself. It's all 
the attributes of beauty, the attributes of gentleness, that that is his default interaction with us. And this is a recurring thread that we find throughout the Quran, that this seems to be much more prevalent than the attributes of power. The attributes of power are absolutely there. Uh, but think about this now, next big point, what in my heart I perceive of Allah is going to inform how I look at the world around me. Okay. Uh, when we say us, is that specific to humans or all of creation? I'd say both, either or, okay. uh, but especially humans. Uh, so how I understand Allah, how I truly internally regard Allah is going to inform how I look at what happens in my life. So we might all say, okay, the main attribute of Allah Ta'ala in relation to creation is mercy, but what do I truly believe in my heart? So for example, when students are coming to my office, very commonly they, they believe they're saying things like, hey, God's angry with me. Why? Because he is, because I'm a horrible person, because uh, I don't do anything right, so far and so on. Or another common sentiment is people feel that God is, uh, uh, is, is what's the word? Uh, God has abandoned me. Let's put that into practice. If I truly feel in my heart that God is abandoning me, and let's say I get into a car accident, then I'm going to think, okay, God, God's not there to help me. Okay, you know, why wasn't there God there to help me at best? If I see God as punisher, and then I get into a car accident, I'm going to probably see that in some form as a punishment of God to me. If I see God as apathetic, as not caring, then that's how I'm going to see what the world is, and I'm going to act uh, in response to that. Now, the goal is to not only see God as merciful to me, but to see God as pouring mercy upon me. And then if I get into the car accident, I mean, I'm still going to have struggle. That's still a guarantee. One thought I'm going to have is this was horribly bad, but it could have been so much worse. Alhamdulillah, this other thing didn't happen or that didn't happen. Again, what is the key point here? How I truly regard Allah in my heart is going to inform how I look at the world. It's going to inform how I look at what happens to me in the world. Uh, some people take it to the other extreme and use Allah's Rahmah and forgiveness to justify actions that they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say that's actually different. I'd say that's more not saying that God is merciful. I'd say that that's saying that God doesn't care. And, and thus, he's not going to give me justice so I can do whatever I want. So, the language of necessity frames it differently, de-emphasizing the agency of human beings in their relationships. Um, uh, may I ask you to uh, expand on this? Uh, the language of necessity frames it differently. Uh, if you can explain, expand on that pretty, uh, a bit more, uh, Abdullah, that, uh, that'll help us understand what you're saying. Sounds pretty profound, mashallah. Okay, yeah, you have to. Okay, so so again, keep that point in mind because we're going to be adding another big element to that in just in just a, a few moments here. Again, that how I perceive Allah in my heart is going to inform everything. So this is another one of the central aspects of the whole worldview of Islam, the worldview that by extension of the Quran. So we've talked about connections and then leading into relationships. We talk about connecting with Allah by ways of, of his names and then from there his mercy. 
and that his mercy is especially focused on me. And then what we're saying is what I think of Allah is going to inform how I see the world, which will then inform am I optimist, pessimist, realist, uh, all those things. So, so to put it in another perspective, <clears throat> think of a couple scenarios. How I look at my future in this dunya, how I look at my response to my future in this dunya, and how I look at my plight on the day of judgment. Good. So, so three scenarios. The default I should have for how I look at the future, meaning what does Allah hold for me in the future, should again be mercy. It's going to include struggle, but my default should be hope more than fear. Okay. And I'm saying this especially conscious of the time that we're in right now, where literally we don't even know what the situation is going to be in one week. Good. And we definitely don't know what the situation is going to be in two weeks, what to think of about a month or two from now. Good. With, with what the epidemiologists are saying in terms of, of what the, the future is of the spread of all this. Good. And still, uh, I'll have will in just a second. Still, my default outlook for the future should be hope over fear. Now, a point about hope and fear. You cannot have hope without fear. You cannot have fear without hope. Okay. Hope has fear built into it. Meaning, what is hope? Hope is saying, I want this thing to happen. Meaning, I hope this thing will happen. But I fear it will not. What is fear? Fear is the opposite. Fear is... I fear this thing was going to happen, but I hope it will not. So I do a lot of spectrums. So imagine a spectrum where in one direction you have fear and in the other direction you have hope. And so the more hope you have, the higher your hope is, the less fear you have. And the greater your fear is, the less hope you have. And so my default should be in my heart that Allah is pouring rahmah on me. And again, that does not mean I'm not being hit with struggle. But he is pouring rahmah on me. And thus, in terms of what the future holds for me, meaning what Allah Ta'ala has willed for my future to be, my default should be hope more than fear. And then, and let's just uh, let's make that point a step further. Uh, what do you call hope that actually has no fear in it? How would you define that? And then likewise, what would you call fear that has absolutely no hope in it? Any thoughts? So, so Nabiha, Nabiha has taken this in class uh, literally just a couple weeks ago. So Alhamdulillah, she's taken her notes and she remembers. So, and fear would be despair. Yeah. And so, so hope with no fear equals certainty. Fear with no hope equals despair. And a point we're going to repeat when we get into the story of origins of Adam and Eve, peace be upon them, and the devil, is that the central story of the devil is a story of despair. You and I do not have the privilege of despair. Meaning you and I, as believers in the mercy of Allah, must always have hope. And so think of a metaphor. Imagine you're in the middle of the ocean. You're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific Ocean in the middle of the night, 
and you you barely have a raft or a, a life preserver. And it's the middle of the night, and it's thunder and lightning, and it's complete darkness. You still have to, even if it takes you reminding yourself, have to have hope that there's light somewhere. And that's how to operate with life in general. That even if you're in the worst darkness, you have to at the very least convince yourself or believe that there is hope somewhere. Uh, substituting Pachar uh, and Jabbar, talking about compelling and power makes it seem as if things are inevitable. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. Yeah. Um, the language of cosmic power, uh, sorry, I'm kind of computer illiterate here, uh, creates, a uh, creates degrees of difference between man and the divine. Uh, might make it harder for man to relate to the divine. That last part we're going to touch on about relating to the divine. Inshallah. Okay. And, and so why do you call it despair privilege? Okay, very, very good question. Why am I saying that? Uh, <clears throat> because when we despair, um, uh, we're actually making a choice. And I'm saying we don't have even that option as a choice. That's why I'm using the word privilege. And it sounds counterintuitive, but that's the exact point that I'm making. Okay. So... <clears throat> So now the first question was, how should I look at my future? The default should be hope over fear. Yeah. Now the second question is, how should I look at my response to what Allah is going to be giving me in my future? That should be more fear than hope. And my source for that is Surat al-Asr. Okay. So Surat al-Asr, simple translation, uh, we're all familiar with it. Wal-Asr, okay, I swear by the swift passage of time, innal insana lafi khus that indeed, 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 humanity is losing. It's in loss. I mean, that's basically saying you're losing. Except for those who believe and do right and call one, one another to truth and call one another to perseverance. So we're basically saying the default in terms of my use of time is probably that I'm going to be wasting quite a bit of that time. And thus, what am I saying? If we look at all of the rahmas that Allah is bestowing upon me, more than likely, I'm going to fail uh, in appreciating it. I'm not going to succeed in appreciating it. I should have more fear than hope in terms of how I'm going to respond to it. Now, this is the third question, Ahans. How should I look at my, my plight on the Day of Judgment, however? It should be a, a complete balance of hope and fear. And that is taqwa. And we're going to have multiple definitions, uh, Quranic definitions of taqwa. But what am I saying about the Day of Judgment? I should absolutely have fear of my doom. So like Tanvir mentioned that the, the common approach in our community regarding Allah is al-Jabbar al-Qahar. The common approach in our community, at least in lip service, is also, also that we're all doomed, right? Uh, I should have hope that I am, or I should have fear that I'm doomed, and I should have equal hope that I'm going to paradise. Now, what is the trick of shaitan? The trick of shaitan is to make me have one or the other. Yeah. Either to make me feel like I'm doomed. And if I feel like I'm doomed, how do I change that? I should just give some praise of Allah, like say Alhamdulillah or SubhanAllah, and thus automatically I have improved my plight on the Day of Judgment. Likewise, 
if I believe that I'm guaranteed, so related to Olfat's example, that okay, some people take Allah is so merciful that they can justify anything, then I should start be, I should start saying Astaghfirullah. But the ideal that I should have is balance of hope and fear regarding my plan in the Day of Judgment. The way Imam al-Ghazali uh, portrays it, he says that you should have the fear that if only one person was going to hell, you should have the fear that that's you. And you should have the hope that if only one person is going to heaven, you should have the hope that that's you. The key point is, in dunya, my default should be more hope than fear. In my response to dunya, it should be more fear than hope. But in terms of my plight on the day of judgment, it should be a balance of hope and fear. Okay. Make sense so far? Anybody have any questions about this? Okay, we'll continue. Okay, so so we said that's the first half of the surah. The first half of the surah is all about Allah. Bismillah, ar-Rahman, ar-Rahim. Uh, the issue is the question of human agency that we'll get into. Uh, it's a lot of questions that are related to, to um, uh, free will and predestination that we'll get into ayah 6 and 7 of Surah Al-Baqarah. So uh, the, the surah Al-Fatiha begins with Bismillah, ar-Rahman, ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah. Right from the start, from the very first word, the uh, Al-Fatiha has eight reference to, references to Allah Ta'ala, which is again also giving us what is the whole foundation of the deen. It is our connection to God. Good. And now we're going to get into the second half, which is getting into how are we, what are we in relationship to Allah Ta'ala. So the next line is, so first, some grammatical points. So there's two parts to this. You alone we ask for, you alone we worship. Second half, you alone we ask for help. Okay. Now, again, grammatical point, is making things exclusive. So if I said, I'm saying you, we worship, you, we ask for help. Because I'm saying this, this Arabic technique, I'm saying you alone, okay, which as Muslims, we already know this. You alone we worship, you alone we ask for help. Okay. Now, we said it is worship, and worship we've already defined, right? We defined this uh, essentially on, uh, uh, at the beginning. Someone remind us, what is the word for worship? Actually, in fact, I'll do that. That's ibadah. Someone define how did we translate, literally translate ibadah. You can either speak in the microphone or, or type it out. Whoever wants to do it first wins the prize. Okay, absolute love, mashallah. So to give your most extreme love is ibadah. Okay, very good. So, so now what are we saying here? Uh, you alone we worship. To you alone do we give our absolute love, our absolute surrender. Now, because of this particular verb form, there's four meanings built in. Present, future, positive, and non-negative. Okay. Present. You alone do we worship. Okay. Future. You alone will we worship. Present, non-negative. We, we, we do not worship anyone else. Future, not negative. We will not worship anyone else. So four meanings are built into that. You alone do we worship. You alone we, we, we will worship. We do not worship anyone else. We will not worship anyone else. Okay. That part, I think, as Muslims, is the easy part. We've already discussed this in, 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 in multiple ways. 
Now the second part is where things get fun. You alone, we do ask for help. You alone, we will ask for help. We do not ask for help from anyone else. We will not ask for help from anyone else. Okay, again, four meanings built in right there. So here's the question. The question is, <clears throat> if I'm saying to Allah, you alone I ask for help, and I do not and will not ask for help from anyone else, suppose you know I have a car problem and I can't fix it, can I call up AAA and, and, and ask them for help? Yes. Why? Explain it. Argue it. Because you, that's, you're on the roadside, your car's broken down, so you need a mechanic. You need someone who knows specifically how to, you know, deal with the car. Okay. So, but that I, it looks like I'm saying I should just be making dua to Allah and it should be fixed. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, pray and use your brain too. Okay. okay. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, we're not, this isn't, this isn't magic. Okay. I mean, you know, you have to use your brain. Okay. So, uh, okay, good. So let's see. Uh, Mariam says, uh, not ask for help from another spiritual aspect is, uh, i.e. praying to idols. Uh, if you can explain the point a step further, uh, Diani is saying, tire camel before you leave Allah, uh, the rest of Allah. Okay. Uh, Diani is saying that's help provided by Allah. Al-Fat is saying that God is helping us through them. Okay. All right. I think um, yeah. the way I'm, I'm taking it is like when you're only asking Allah for help, it's certain things that it's in the spiritual realm. Like it's nothing that you could physically get from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean, you can get things, but like, yeah, like you said, getting your car fixed or, or I don't know, buying a house and, and getting help moving in. I, certain things like that. Okay. Okay. So, so again, yeah, uh, uh, you're all correct. Uh, Moment is saying it would be necessary to view that help as caused by Allah. Yeah, definitely. So think of this as being answered differently according to various levels of faith. The first level of faith, which I'm going to call the realm of physics, the realm of cause and effect. Okay. Uh, Allah's domain is above all. Allah facilitates that means to you. Okay, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. This is sort of essentially uh, what, what the others are saying as well, mashallah. So in the realm of physics, okay, everything's cause and effect. There, yeah, I'm praying to Allah for help, but I'm turning to the mechanic to fix my car. Okay, Meaning the common level of faith that most people are at. A level above that is I'm making dua, and I'm calling the mechanic, and I'm saying, Ya Allah, please make this mechanic be the one who can help me. Manic, the mechanic comes along, Ya Allah, please make this mechanic, whatever it is that this mechanic's doing, please make it fix my car. Okay? So now I have more of a focus on Allah. A level above that is where everything is dua only. Okay? And here we are speaking about the relationship between Islam to Iman to Ihsan. Good. So most of us, so Mariam's natural question is, is that realistic? So, so what we're saying is that the most of us will be at the level of Islam, which is the level of essential physics, right? That, all right, if I am sick and I have symptoms, okay, yeah, sure, I make dua, but I got to go to a physician. Good. Um, 
if I'm at the level of Iman, uh, now I'm especially making uh, dua that this physician's treatment of me works. That, okay, whatever they're testing uh, me for, let them find it. Hopefully they find nothing, and then they treat me. And the level of ihsan is a level of dua. Okay. Meaning a person can be at that stage of reality, and dua is what they need. Whereas if I'm at the Islam level and I think I'm at that stage, then it's delusion, right? It's like all the people who are staying in the mosques today saying, yeah, you know, you know God is going to take care of us. God didn't make a promise to take care of them during a plague. Okay, so is dua answered at all level? Very, very good question. That we will get to a little bit later, inshallah. Okay, maybe not today, but that, uh, uh, Omar al-Khadr saved that question. How would you translate that in terms of COVID-19? So most of us are at the Islam level. Most of us, we follow what the experts are telling us to do, which is stay home. Yeah. Right? If I'm at the Iman level, then I'm looking at Allah Ta'ala saying, all right, okay, this, the, the, the virus, you know, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to listen to what the experts are telling me. I'm listening to what the Prophet, peace be upon him, is telling me. And I am going to, essentially, I am going to um, uh, know that if the virus is going to hit me, me sitting inside my home, that is your will, and I'm happy with whatever your will is. If I do get sick, then I can still go to a doctor. At the Ihsan level, okay, now we're talking about something much deeper. At the Ihsan level, we're saying that I'm not going to go reckless and go outside because the prophet, peace be upon him, is still telling me to stay home. But I am also going to be in complete submission and interaction with Allah. So let me take a step back to help make more sense of this. Okay, let's talk. In fact, let's talk about uh, Omar al-Khadr's question about dua. Okay, if I'm, you know what? Let's make this fun. Let's add some technology to this. Okay, um, give me one second. Okay, hopefully you all can see this whiteboard. So let's do. Islam, Iman, Hassan, now all of this is part of my journey to get closer, whoops, um, to get closer to Allah. Islam, Iman, Ihsan. Okay. Sorry, computer illiterate. Okay, so hopefully you can all see this. Now, uh, when you have, and here we go again. Sorry, totally computer illiterate. I mean, it's kind of hard to believe that I used to work in IT. years later. Okay, let's just try that. Y'all can see that kind of. Okay. Islam, Iman, Ihsan is part of my journey to get closer to Allah. So what are some things that are going to happen uh, along the way? When we're framing uh, Islam on its own, we're speaking of the religion that we call Islam, right? When we're speaking uh, without a 
Okay, uh, that will come to in a second, inshallah. When we're speaking of Islam in relation to Iman, in relation to Ihsan, now we're talking about levels of faith. And what is Islam at this level? It is straight submission. From the outside in. So what are we saying here? That the Islam of the lay person, the common believer, it's coming from the outside in. Meaning I'm doing what, I suppo what I'm supposed to be doing because... Uh, something outside of me is telling me to do so because the community is telling me, because the text is telling me, because the day of judgment is, is, uh, is in the future, even though my hope and fear is going to be inside, the day of judgment is outside of me. It's submission coming from the outside in. Okay. Iman is to have such a level of security that people feel secure by being in your company, okay? When we translate Iman on its own, we should translate it as faith. Okay. More literally, it's to have such a level of security that people feel secure just by being in your company. That is Iman. Meaning what? It's coming from within, out. Okay. So Islam is coming from the out in, Iman, now it's coming from within, out. Hey, can someone nod? Just let me know that you can still hear me because my computer tends to crash. Okay, you can still hear me. Okay, good. Ihsan, which we call perfection of faith, and in the hadith of the Prophet, it's you worship Allah as though you see Him. Now we're saying everything is nonstop interaction with the Prophet, peace be upon Him. Or I'm sorry, subhanAllah. Nonstop interaction with Allah. So in the context of du'a, of supplication, if I'm at the Islam level, let's add some color to make this more exciting. If I'm at the Islam level and I'm praying to Allah, hey Allah, give me such and such, uh, I might, if it seems like the du'a is answered, I might be pleasantly surprised. If I'm at the Iman level, I'm praying with a certain amount of confidence in my du'a. And I'll explain all these things in just a moment. Okay? So, Iman, I have a certain amount of confidence in my du'a. It's still surrender. Allah can answer me whatever way he wills. Ihsan, everything is du'a. Everything is nonstop interaction with Allah. Okay? So, I'm going to explain this two other ways, and then we'll, we'll add more to it to, to add more flavor. Um, if I am at the Islam level and I'm teaching you as a class, okay, then I'm speaking to you as me, talking to Dr. Kazi, talking to Mariam, talking to Doug, talking to Stephanie, talking to Lays, talking to Adnan, so forth and so on. Okay. If I'm at the Iman level, as I'm teaching all of you, I keep getting reminded of Allah Ta'ala. Okay. Think of the example of the leaf falling from a tree. We said that you're socially conditioned to look at the world in a particular way. If I'm at the Islam level, I see that I just I think of autumn because I grew up in the Midwest and that's how we think that's what we think of we think of leaf falling from a tree. If I'm at the Iman level and I see a leaf falling from a tree, I'm reminded of Allah. 
which means I keep getting reminded of Allah all day long. But if I'm at the Ihsan level and I'm teaching all of you, I'm actually talking to Allah. Allah Ta'ala has put you before me and I'm responding to what Allah has put you put before me. Or let's say I'm walking down the street on a normal healthy day. Someone comes up to me, asks me for money. If I'm at the Islam level, I'm going to judge that person in every way, their smell, their clothing, you know, depending upon what I'm like. I might judge them based on race, based on gender, etc. And that's going to influence how I'm going to help them, if at all. Okay. If I'm at the Iman level, someone comes up to me, asks me for money, first thing that comes to mind is Allah Ta'ala. And think about how that's going to affect my behavior. But if I'm at the Ihsan level, what am I literally thinking the whole time? Allah Ta'ala is putting this person before me. How are you responding to what Allah is putting before you? Okay. Constant interaction between you and Allah. So now, in the case of du'a, uh, let's talk about the du'a of the, of the heart versus du'a of the tongue. Okay. So, <clears throat> let's say I have a normal corporate job. And, and forget, uh, let's say this whole virus thing is not, is, 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 let's say that's not happening, or at least not yet. And so it's a normal, otherwise normal day, and I have to get to work at nine, and I'm running late to work. Okay. And I'm driving on the road at full speed, foot uh, all the way to the floor, and because I'm Daisy, I'm driving a Toyota Camry. So my Toyota Camry, I'm driving at full speed, and I'm saying to Allah, Ya Allah, get me to work on time, get me to work on time, get me to work on time. Okay. And then, if I get to work at 9 o'clock, does it sound like my prayer was answered? Seems like it, right? If I get to work at 9.05, I'm late, does it sound like my prayer was answered? Probably not. Good. Uh, those questions I'll answer also, inshallah. Okay, so so far so good. I'm praying to get me to work on time. My tongue is saying, get me to work on time. And yet I get to work uh, on time. Looks like I've been, I, my prayer's been answered. I'm excited. Uh, I arrive late. That's what I was expecting to happen. Okay. Now, everything I say, everything I do is an interpretation of what my heart is seeking. And so if my heart, so in that moment, my dua that is expressed as an interpretation of what my heart is seeking. So why do I want to get to work on time? Closer to my heart, because I don't want to get in trouble. So let's say I get to work at 9.05. Was the prayer of my tongue answered? No. But let's say I get to 9.05 and I don't get in trouble. The prayer closer to my heart was actually answered. Because the tongue said, get me to work on time, but actually I just didn't want to get in trouble. And I'm fine. Now, why don't I want to get in trouble? Because I don't want to lose my job. So let's say I get to work at 9.05. I get written up, but I don't lose my job. The prayer close to my heart was answered. And so for every dua you're asking, there's a prayer of your tongue. And then what is your heart actually seeking? And so to answer Omar al-Khadra's question, we're saying the prayer of your heart is always answered. The prayer of your tongue may not be. What does the Prophet, peace be upon him, say? You know, the dua you make, either Allah will give you what you're asking for, or instead he will remove a burden from you, or instead he will give it to you in akhirah, and you'll wish all the, all the prayers were answered in akhirah. 
the prayer of the heart, Allah Ta'ala says, this is Surah Al-Baqarah, or this is around uh, Surah 2, Ayah 186, that he answers the call of the caller when he answers, when, when the caller calls. And the prayer of your heart is always answered. And the prayer of your heart is almost always something simple, like, Ya Allah, give me, give me mercy. But I interpreted that moment, okay, I don't want my whole world to fall apart, which means uh, I don't want to lose my income, which means I don't lose my job, which means I get to work on time. Okay. And so all of our prayers is an interpretation of what our heart is seeking. When I get to the Iman level, I know what my heart is actually seeking. When I'm at the Islam level, there's all these layers in between, and I get disconnected. At the Iman level, uh, I know what my heart is seeking, and I'm praying accordingly. Can a person be at the Iman level but have a misunderstanding of God's mercy? Um, that's quite an abstract point, and so I'm going to say technically no, but uh, I would uh, ask you to, to look at both possibilities. What if we say yes? What if we say no? And then, uh, and then at Ihsan, what do we say? Everything is interaction with Allah. That whole process. And so, what does this really sum up as? Is that, whoops, let's lower this. Uh, let's change this to green. What's happening is as I go from Islam to Iman to Ihsan, my narcissism is decreasing. And so what am I speaking of narcissism? My focus on myself. That essentially, looking at the entire outlook, the, the challenge in Islam is either I'm focused on Allah or I'm focused on my own self. And as I'm getting closer to Allah, my focus on myself is decreasing as though I'm giving up my will to Allah. So the person at Islam has to get themselves to make their prayers. Okay. The person at Islam has to get themselves to maintain their fast. The person at Iman, they feel compelled to pray. It's like they're sleeping. Oh, I have to pray or now. They wake up. Okay. And Ahsan, everything is, so it's already what's in Iman, but everything is this internal compulsion, this internal communication. So is it possible to be at the Ihsan level? So the person instinctively is going to be staying out of danger. Okay, so let's see if there's a way to save this. Saved. Okay, so let's go back to all the rest of us. Okay. Looking here, what does it say? Can a person be at the Iman level but uh, have a misunderstanding of God's mercy as discussed earlier? So at the level of Ihsan, since narcissism is almost non-existent, the person would not even consider themselves having reached that level. So, okay, that's a very, very important question. The goal of the believer is not to get to Iman. It's not to get to Ihsan. The goal of the believer is to get closer to God. And so these are milestones along the way. So my goal is not to get to Ihsan. That would be like you know, me trying to be a Jedi and have superpowers and everything. No, my goal is to get closer to Allah. And these will be pathways uh, along along the way. And, and sorry, here, 
I'm For some reason, it's not letting me scroll down. Do these levels fluctuate as we hear our Iman is never... Uh, nice to see you, huh? <laughs> Do these levels fluctuate as we hear our Iman is never at a constant state? Oh, very nice question. So there is debate, can Iman increase or decrease? And the legal scholars say no, because there either you have Iman or you don't. Uh, but does Iman, do, do you fluctuate within each level? Yeah, you do. Good. And if you're at the Islam level, you can have a taste you can have a taste of those higher levels. You know, you can have a moment where you just feel like, all right, everything's reminding me of God. Good. But when you get into a deeper state, you, it's as though you're unable to go back. So think about how you look at the world when you were 10 years old versus how you look at the world now. You're not even capable of going back to looking at the world, how you looked at it when you were 10 years old, short of a, a brain injury. Such is the case with getting into deeper levels of faith. And uh, Professor Walid, you have a message, and for some reason I'm having trouble um, getting to it. Uh, at Ihsan, do uh, rituals lose their value? I think at Ihsan, the rituals actually have much more value. Uh, uh, meaning they are the foundation uh, uh, through which you are now separating from the world. So the prophet, peace be upon him, speaking of the night journey, says that your night journey is in your prayers. And so that person, uh, so ideally when I'm making my prayers, I say, Allahu Akbar, what is this doing? What is this motion doing? It's as though I'm basically saying to the world, okay, I'm throwing the entire world behind you. And so as focused as the person is in Ihsan with on Allah, they're even more focused during those moments. But inshallah, I don't know, I, don't, uh, I can't claim to be at, at uh, that level. Okay, why is there a spectrum if we aren't meant to measure our closeness uh, to God by levels? It's not that we're not meant to do that. I'm saying that that's not the goal. The goal is not to get to Iman as much as the goal is to get to, uh, uh, get to uh, closer to God through the course of your life. And briefly, I also want to touch on the opposites. And this we'll get into more when we get into the first two pages of Al-Baqarah. So we talked about Islam, Iman, Ihsan. What if we're going in the opposite direction? So instead of going one way, we're going the other way. Then the two opposites are what we call Nifaq or Kufr. So if I'm getting closer to Allah, I'm going from Islam to Iman uh, to Ihsan. If I'm turning away from Allah, then the path is Nifaq. Nifaq is hypocrisy. Kufr here in this context is outright rejection. We gave one definition of kufr before, which was ingratitude. And I should add another one, which is fisk, which is a shameless rebellion. This is the person who just doesn't even care. Okay. Which is worse? Uh, uh, the worst one out of all those in order is probably uh, Fisk, then Kufr, and then Nifak. Yeah. Or it might be Kufr, Nifak, and Fisk. The difference is that, well, okay, in fact, uh, hold, on, uh, hold on to that question until we get to Ayah 8, inshallah. Conscious, willful rejection, exactly. Yeah. The difference between Nifak and Fisk is that a person of Nifak still has embarrassment or, or shame. 
whereas the person a Fasik has none. Okay, so we're stopping right here, inshallah. Um, we're then, next time, going to get into Ihdin al-Sirat al-Mustaqim. But uh, what are some of the, the, the big points we talked about? First part of the class, we talked about, you know, the how different al-Fatiha becomes if Allah uses other attributes of the attributes of Jamal and Jalal, but he is using Rahma, Rahma, Rahma. And from there, we said that how I internally regard God is going to influence how I look at everything around me. And then from there, we talk about the path of getting closer to God, which is this pathway of Islam, Iman, Ihsan. The source material for this pathway of getting closer to God is called the Hadith of Jibreel, which is also nicknamed Umm al-Hadith. And, and uh, that, if you type that up, you can find it very easily. This is a very, very famous narration. Uh, um, most common narration is by Omar, second most common is by Abu Huraira where they're talking about this moment where they're sitting with the Prophet, he's someone this man comes in and asks all these questions, and it turns out it's the angel to be. Uh, okay, uh, once again, I'm very sorry for going over time. Uh, did you figure out the audio sharing? Yes, uh, let me give you really quickly the recording uh, links. So it doesn't seem to work if I give you the, uh, the, uh, the playlist but it does seem to work if I give you the actual, uh, um, if I give you just the individual track uh, addresses. So really quickly. So, so these are just audio recordings. That's number one. So I call it the pandemic or on class. You know. um, number two. I still ask you not to pass these out to other people because as you've already seen, my style is very, very unorthodox. So people uh, will more often than not not uh, understand uh, the lessons. And that should be uh, all three of them, inshallah. And then when it's ready, I'll post uh, number four. Okay, uh, any last brief questions? Okay, next time we're going to get into the actual second half of, of the surah, inshallah. All right, subhanakallahumma bihamdika, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka na tubi ilayk. Subhanakallahumma, glory to you, O Allah, wa bihamdika, praise and gratitude are to you. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, we bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka, we seek your forgiveness. Wana tubu ilayk, and we turn to you. Subhanakallahumma, bihamdika, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka, wana tubu ilayk. Wa akhir da'wana, and alhamdulillah, hirabil alameen. May Allah ta'ala reward you all, inshallah, and keep all of us safe and germ-free, and especially for all the people who are on the front lines, whether it's as the physicians or at the grocery stores or what have you. And we'll see you, inshallah, tomorrow. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi.